Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 3, 2, 1. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 298 of the podcast that is Sweeping America. The Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, September 28th, 2020, people. And I cannot lie. I know that I've said it like the last three or four Mondays, but it really did. Didn't it just feel like football this weekend? Incredible weekend. We wake up Saturday morning. We got Ole Miss Florida on one TV, Kentucky Auburn on another TV, roll into the Saturday afternoon game, roll into Sunday where I'm actually recording here uh, right after the early afternoon game. So uh, to the Falcons fans, I just want to say I'm sorry. From the bottom of my heart, no one deserves what you guys have gone through. Uh, and shout out doubly to the Tennessee Falcons fans who have dealt with a lot of heartbreak uh, and the Georgia Falcons fans who dealt with a lot of heartbreak. But enough about the NFL. Enough about the NFL. Let's talk about college football. Busy weekend. Very quick rundown of what we'll talk about today. Then we're going to get into it because there is so much to get into. I really don't want to waste any time. But I will talk very briefly about the Big 12. Another disastrous season or another disastrous weekend, excuse me. And it really does feel like we are already at the point where uh, the Big 12 may be playing itself out of the college football playoff. Oklahoma loses. Texas struggles. They probably should have lost. Uh, Oklahoma State is not very good. On and on and on and on and on. We will then transition to the SEC, where my boy, how about Mike Leach? Week one, SEC record-setting passing day. Uh, Mississippi State upsets LSU. We'll talk about the Mississippi State angle. We'll talk about Mike Leach. We'll talk about the LSU angle, because I'll tell you this, that did not look like a national championship caliber team. And I really do wonder if LSU, uh, you know, are we looking at a one-hit wonder kind of deal, at least for a couple years as they rebuild that program? We will wrap last really big topic, I do want to hit on that Kentucky-Auburn game because uh, I've been taking a lot of flack from Auburn fans uh, over some comments that I made about that game, but I really do believe, I understand the frustration of a Kentucky fan on Monday morning, but I believe that game was probably a lot closer than it actually the scoreboard reflected, so we'll get into that game, wrap on a couple quick thoughts on Arkansas-Georgia, Tennessee-South Carolina, uh, Alabama, we'll talk a little bit about Miami, maybe I need to start giving the Canes some credit, but a lot to get into Busy show. So again, let's not waste any more time. Before we get started, I do want to remind everybody very briefly, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. 
if you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. I have an Android. I use Podcast Addict. So if you are on an Android, make sure to use Podcast Addict. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. It really does help. Uh, If you are following on social media, New Instagram or new Twitter page at Aaron Torres Pod. Also, Instagram at Aaron Torres Pod. Change the handle there so it'd be easier, some continuity, but at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Aaron Torres Podcast questions if you have any questions. And as I've mentioned many times, I am in fact on Cameo. So if you love your boy AT, if your friends love your boy AT, and you want to get a birthday wish, a wedding wish, an anniversary wish, whatever it may be, you can look me up on Cameo, cameo.com slash Aaron underscore Torres. Also, feel free to send me a DM. I'll be happy to direct you to the right place. But basically, anywhere you want to look, you can find me. I also, by the way, I should mention, do have a YouTube channel where I'm posting a lot of clips from this show. So go ahead and find me on YouTube uh, because I do a lot of good stuff there. And with that said, people. No more time to waste. And as I said off the top, you know, I I really think you can probably look at this weekend and argue two different storylines in terms of the biggest story. Is it Oklahoma losing, potentially already eliminating themselves from the playoff? Is it Mississippi State and Mike Leach winning and maybe establishing that they're a better team than we thought? Obviously, LSU struggling is a huge story as well. LSU did not look very good. We will get to Mike Leach in a minute, but I do want to start with the Oklahoma stuff because I think the Oklahoma stuff is really probably a microcosm for the Big 12 in general. And it's crazy because when you look at the Big 12, uh, they might be basically eliminating themselves from the playoff before not only the Big 10 and Pac-12 even get on the field, before we even figure out what the Pac-12 is actually going to play. So let's get into Saturday. And again, I do think probably the biggest story for the broader national championship picture did come in Norman, Oklahoma, where for the second year in a row, uh, Oklahoma lost to Kansas State. And I know that Oklahoma kind of has these weird losses at certain points in the season all the time, but this one felt different, and let me tell you why. First of all, uh, one, Oklahoma looked awesome in their debut two weeks ago. They crushed Missouri State. I know it's an FCS team, but at the end of the day, they were phenomenal. They looked really good. Uh, Two, this game was at home. And three, as I mentioned a minute ago, they played Kansas State last year. And And they lost to Kansas State last year. And so you think if there's one game, we know that Oklahoma's gonna get tripped up in some weird spot at some point. But you just don't think it's going to be to K-State, the team that they lost to. And so they not only lose the game, but a couple factors going into it. One, it was a shocking meltdown, okay? When you look at how that game played out with Kansas State on Saturday, Oklahoma was seemingly in control the entire game. And it was crazy because it was kind of for me, and I know so many of you guys, especially now that we can't go to the stadiums, you guys are watching at home. And that Oklahoma game was kind of like the third TV on Saturday morning for me, right? I had Kentucky-Auburn on one TV, and I was paying attention to Ole Miss-Florida on another TV, and I just kind of had Oklahoma in the background because it felt like they were in complete control. 
They were up after the first quarter, 7-0. They were up after the second quarter, 21-14. And they were up going into the fourth quarter, uh, 35-21. And so you think this whole time this game is in complete control. I can Oklahoma's going to do what Oklahoma does, win convincingly. Um, and instead, it's a complete meltdown. They give up 17 unanswered points in the fourth quarter, don't score in the fourth quarter. And I was even thinking about this. I didn't take the time to look it up. I wonder the last time that Oklahoma, outside of maybe the college football playoff where they got crushed by LSU last year, the last time Oklahoma went a whole quarter without scoring, let alone in the fourth quarter. So they end up losing this game. And I think, it's, we, we, I think we have to ask a few questions about Oklahoma because, first of all, what I want to say is a few things. One, I know what people will say. They do this every year, Aaron. Aaron, calm down. You're overreacting. How can you say that their season is over after one loss? And I'm not necessarily saying that. But what I am saying is this. First of all, yes, Oklahoma has the weird loss every year, but it usually, not only usually, it doesn't come this early. Lincoln Riley, now in his fourth year at Oklahoma, 14-0 in the month of September coming into yesterday, including their season opening win uh, a few weeks ago against Missouri State. So when they have that weird loss, it's never this early. Beyond that, when you look at the, the game itself against Kansas State, it wasn't as though Kansas State played some amazing game, right? Like you look at sometimes when an Alabama loses or a, you know, a, a Clemson loses, that the other team has some out-of-body, bigger-than-life experience, right? Like Alabama losing to LSU last year at home, you know, you could sit there and say, well, LSU went on to win the national championship. And it's like, it's true. But LSU also played probably their best game of the season in that game, 46 points at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Tua was going back and forth with Joe Burrow, play for play. LSU ends up winning 46 to 41. And if you're an Alabama fan, and I remember even talking about it on this show, I remember Nick Saban going to the postgame press conference and being like, dude, we just couldn't, we didn't have an answer. We did everything we could. We were prepared. Our players were in position. Our players did a good job. They were just a better football team. You know, when Ohio State lost to Clemson last year, I know it was controversial and all that stuff. Clemson played really well after the first quarter when they fell behind. So that's the thing that, that's kind of tripping me out is it's not like Kansas State played well. First of all, Kansas State was missing a bunch of players, which is something that I'm sure they talked about throughout the broadcast. I don't even know that I realized that until I started going through all the write-ups and everything on Sunday morning is that they were missing a bunch of guys, including a big chunk of their secondary. And if you sit there and think about it, it's like if you're going to lose to if you're going to beat Oklahoma, You'd think that you probably have the best secondary in America the way that they throw the ball. And so they were missing a bunch of players, Kansas State. And then if you look at the box score, again, it's not as though they played this surreal, out-of-body experience kind of game. Oklahoma outgained them. Oklahoma outrushed them. Oklahoma outpassed them. Um, Oklahoma... Uh, did have more turnovers. They will, I will say that, but Kansas State had a bunch of penalties. How about this? Kansas State scored 38 points on Saturday afternoon. They had 10 total first downs. So on the one hand, it's kind of a fluky win. On another hand, you just can't sit there and say that Oklahoma, that, that, that the other team was phenomenal. 
And so when I look at Oklahoma and I kind of look at the bigger picture, first of all, with Oklahoma, uh, look, I, I just think that the more that I think about it and in watching them the other day, I don't think this is necessarily a vintage Oklahoma team, right? Like, I think probably the best teams that they had were probably the ones with Baker Mayfield, maybe the year they had Kyler Murray. But I look at this team and I just think maybe it's just not as good. Um, the defense has always been a question mark, and I don't think they have that that dominant offense, or I don't think they will have that dominant offense that they've had. Again, I know it's only one game, but I think when you look at it, first of all, redshirt freshman at quarterback who has no experience outside of this year, not to say that the kid Spencer Rattler can't or won't be good, just that he's never played major college football. And so when you go back to last year, Jalen Hurts, transfer from Alabama, won an SEC title, won a national title while he was a part of the Alabama football program. Kyler Murray had transferred from Texas A&M, had had major experience in the SEC. Now, he didn't play like he did at uh, Oklahoma when he was at Texas A&M, but he was really good. And oh, by the way, before that, Baker Mayfield, another guy who had starting experience in the Big 12 before he ended up at Oklahoma State. And so when I look at Oklahoma... First-year starter at quarterback who's only a redshirt soft, a redshirt freshman, really good, but still a redshirt freshman. Their best running back, Kennedy Brooks, opted out of the season. They lost their best wide receiver last year, CeeDee Lamb, to the NFL and the Dallas Cowboys. And so I just don't know if this Oklahoma team is going to be able to make up ground the way that they have after losing in years past. When I look at that team, I don't know that that is a team that is going to go undefeated the rest of the way. And I know you can sit there and say, well, it's early and who knows what's going to happen in the Big Ten and who knows what's going to happen in the Pac-12. History tells us you got to be a one-loss team, a zero-loss team to be seriously considered for the college football playoff. I just don't see Oklahoma going 10-0 and from here on out. That did not look like a team that is going to run the table. So that's kind of the Oklahoma spiel. But then I think the bigger spiel is about the Big 12 in general, which is just it has been a disastrous first couple weeks for the Big 12. And again, I know we don't want to do the whole overreaction thing with the Big 12, but as my Saturday radio partner Arnie Spanier always says, we're doing the show today, and I can only react today to what we've seen so far, and the Big 12 kind of stinks. The other big story in this conference outside of Oklahoma on Saturday was, did you see your boys over at Texas? Did you see the Texas Longhorns, okay? They were, they beat Texas Tech. If you did not see the game, first of all, where were you? What were you doing? That game was insane. They win 63-56 to in overtime, but that wasn't really the story. The story was that the game, it was Texas down 15 points with three minutes to go. Texas Tech went up 56 to, what is that, 56-41 with 3.13 to go. Texas gets the ball back, scores twice to force overtime and converts the two-point conversion just to get back into that game. And so on the one hand, it's kind of the same deal as Oklahoma, kind of the same deal in the sense that like, dude, at least Texas got the win. Who cares? Win pretty, win ugly, just win. Texas is certainly in a better position than Oklahoma is today, than um, you know, than, than LSU is today. They're in a better position than some of these other teams that have lost games today. But I'm just sitting there. When I look at Texas, who's probably the best team to possibly represent the Big 12 outside of Oklahoma, did that 
look like a team that's going to finish 9-1, 10-0, 10-1, because again, that is what it is going to take to qualify for the playoffs this year. The answer to me is an abundant big fat no, and if it's a big fat no, it means that I think the Big 12 is really in trouble. Because it's like any other conference, right? When your two best programs are not national championship caliber, it just fe- first of all, the perception of the league is going to be terrible, right? And I say this all the time. The Pac-12's biggest problem right now, the Pac-12 probably isn't as bad as people think it is, but when Utah and Washington and, and these other programs that are good but not necessarily great historically, it just feels different than when USC is rolling, right? When USC is rolling, uh, the Pac-12 feels unbeatable. When, when USC is a national championship contender, it raises the entire Pac-12 conference. Same in the ACC. The ACC... I think is actually pretty good this year, but the last couple years, they've stunk, but Clemson has been good enough where it didn't matter because Clemson masked a lot of what the ACC's limitations were, and so it's kind of the same in the Big 12. Oklahoma has really masked a lot of those limitations for the Big 12, and this year, I just don't think that they can do it. I don't think they're going to go 10-1. and I didn't see anything from Texas that makes me go think they're, think they're going to go 10-1, and and then you look at the rest of the conference, Look at the results that we've gotten so far. Kansas State, that same team that went to Norman, they lost to Arkansas State to start the year. Iowa State lost to Louisiana to start the year this year. Um, Tulsa nearly beat Oklahoma State a few weeks ago. And so when I look at this, by the way, I'll give credit to my buddy Nick Coffey. We were texting on uh, Saturday during all these games, and he said, man, I think the Big 12 made a very tactical mistake by allowing their teams to play out of conference games. Because now you can't even use the, well, maybe Kansas State is better than we thought excuse because they lost to Arkansas State. That Texas Tech team that put up 56 points on Texas, they almost lost to something called Houston Baptist. And so when I look at the state of the Big 12, I just think that it is going to be really tough unless Texas can improve vastly, unless Oklahoma can improve vastly. I just think it's going to be really tough for them to be able to justify things. One, I think they're going to be going against the public perception that this conference is inferior, that when they get to the playoff, Oklahoma can't compete with the Alabamas, the LSUs, the Georgias. I know they play Georgia tough, but that is the perception. They get to the playoff and they can't compete. Last two times they've been in the playoff, they really haven't been all that competitive. And so I think they're going to deal with the public perception. I think they're going to deal with the fact that when I look at that league, I don't see a team going 10, 11, and 1. And I just think it's going to be a year where the Big 12 might be left out of the playoff. And I know it's early, and I know it's hard to say, but when I look at the rest of college football, you know what I actually thought watching the Oklahoma and Texas games back-to-back? I thought, man, this is actually great news for everyone else in college football. Because think about it, in this four-team playoff, think about what the Big 12, the Big 12 just basically said, we don't have a team. Like, like, just take the spot that we usually take. You can basically give it to someone else. Maybe Oklahoma makes a run, but who sees Oklahoma making a run after what they did on Saturday? Who sees Texas being a legitimate contender when they just gave up 56 points to Texas Tech and should have lost that game? Instead, the big winners on Saturday were basically everybody else. Because think about it. If you're the SEC, you got to be feeling pretty good that, man, if it comes down to, say, Georgia at 10-2 and 2 
or 11 and 1 or Florida out of the East or Alabama as a one-loss team that isn't the champion of the SEC, you got to feel good that the SEC thinks that they can get two teams into this playoff. You got to feel good that the Big 10 when they get back on the field. If one team goes undefeated and the other team loses only one game, Big Ten's going to have a conversation to have a second team in the playoff. How about the ACC? I mean, you want to talk about wild stories that we never saw coming. Miami looks awesome. Notre Dame has played well through two games. Could they get a second team on top of Clemson? Let me take it a step further. We already kind of discounted the Pac-12 from this conversation. I joked about it on Twitter. The Pac-12 is in great position right now. They just got to keep sitting out games and not telling people when they start and hope they finish the season with an undefeated team. Could they sneak into the playoff? Finally, how about the AAC? That's the conference with Central Florida and with Cincinnati and SMU and all these other teams. And I know that everybody wants to poo-poo what they do and how they play. But you can't watch the Big 12 this year and tell me, sorry, that Oklahoma and the Texas are vastly superior to, say, Cincinnati and Central Florida. Central Florida's put up 50 points per game the first two games of the season, crushed a team from the ACC in, in Georgia Tech. I'm not saying Georgia Tech's good. I'm just saying that if there was ever a year for an AAC team to make a run, it feels like this is potentially that year. So biggest takeaways from the Oklahoma game, I just don't think Oklahoma's very good. I think the Big 12 is going to struggle, and I think it was a great day for everybody else in college football because it feels like one of those playoff spots that has gone to Oklahoma each of the last three years, I just think all of a sudden that playoff spot is open, and now all of a sudden you start looking around and saying, man, man, oh man, oh man, I think that team, I think that spot is open and somebody else could potentially get it. All right, let's switch gears. As I said off the top, I do think that Frankly, you could say Oklahoma's the biggest story, but I also think you got to say that Mississippi State, man, that story was ginormous, right? Mike Leach, and I said it on Thursday's episode, but Mike Leach coming into the SEC, I feel like it just completely got lost under the radar over the last six months because of, in all seriousness, a lot of the real world issues that have been going on. And we've talked about it a lot. You guys don't want to talk about it here, but I bring it up simply to say that, like, man, Mike Leach, Mississippi State, it's awesome. But even when I thought how awesome it would be to have Mike Leach at Mississippi State, I kind of thought of it as like, hey, Mississippi State generally, no disrespect if we have Mississippi State fans listening, they're generally pretty irrelevant. As I've said before, they're kind of a 7-5-ish type football team historically. And so, heck, if Mississippi State's going to be uh, irrelevant on the field, they wait, may as well be interesting off of it. I think the exact quote I used when Mike Leach was hired was, if you're going to be 7-5, and five, you might as well have fun doing it. And uh, speaking of wrong, speaking of having fun, speaking of taking L's, your boy Torres might have been wrong on this one. Because Mississippi State, day one, hour one, minute one of Mike Leach's tenure at Mississippi State, goes into LSU and gets a W. They beat the defending national champions. And I will tell you, I did have, as one of my best SEC bets from last week, if you listen to Thursday's show, I did say I believe Mississippi State would keep it close. And I did say that I did think that Mike Leach's system would not only fit in the SEC, 
But I just thought the way that he teaches it, the way he installs it, and I don't claim to be any X's and O's expert, but Gary Danielson and Brad Nessler talked a lot about it, is that it's kind of a simplistic system to implement. It's kind of a simplistic system uh, to, to teach your players. And so it was one of those things where I kind of felt like, okay, the fact that they didn't have spring football, I didn't think would be as big of an issue for Mississippi State because the way that Gary Danielson described it was that basically it's, it's, it's about 25 plays and you just run those same 25 plays over and over and over and you assume that eventually you'll out-execute the other team. You assume that eventually you'll break a play and you'll assume that eventually you'll score. And so again, don't claim to be an X's and O's savant, but I did think that Mississippi State would be competitive in this game, but I did not see what was coming Saturday afternoon in Baton Rouge where Mike Leach, first game in the SEC. How about this? You want to talk, you know, you know we use the term offensive genius like, like like everyone under the sun has been called offensive genius at some point in their careers including guys like uh, Chip Kelly maybe not so much anymore Adam Gase who might be fired by the time you listen to this there was talk that he might not survive this weekend everyone's an offensive genius well how about Mike Leach actually being one how about Mike Leach coming to the SEC and in the first game he ever coaches in the SEC he sets multiple offensive records it was the most passing yards ever for a quarterback in an SEC game. Saturday afternoon, KJ Costello, Mississippi State, 623 yards. First game for Mike Leach. First game for Mike Leach. SEC record in passing. And so it was an incredible game, and it was an incredible win. And I'm happy for Mississippi State fans because I know that there's been some highs over the last couple years with Dan Mullen and Dak Prescott, but this is a team that, like I said, they're historically a 7-5 and five football team. And it's funny because, you know, we think about the Dan Mullen glory years at Mississippi State. How about a crazy stat on this? When Dan Mullen was at Mississippi State, he won 10 games one time and 9 games another. So he had two great years when Dak Prescott was there. And then every other year they were 8-5, and 7-5, and 8-6, and 8-4, and whatever. And so this is not the great program that some of these other ones are. So first of all, I'm happy for Mississippi State. I'm happy for their fans to have this moment in time. But I think it's also like, to me, I do think we also have to look at Mike Leach because I was thinking about this after the game. I think you can make the argument, and I don't even know if it's, like, I don't even know if it's an argument, is like, I think Mike Leach is the most underrated coach in college football. And like I said, sometimes I come out with stuff and it's like, oh, Torres, that's such a hot take and you're crazy and you, you're, out of, you're, you're out of control. I don't think this is a hot take. Like, I don't, even, I don't even know if this is a take. Like, who would be more underrated than Mike Leach? Because when you think about Mike Leach, this is the thing that's amazing about Mike Leach. When you think about Mike Leach, what you have to remember is that the way college football works, maybe more than any other sport, any other whatever, there are definitive haves and have-nots in the sport, right? Like Ohio State, you go to Ohio State, basically every coach the last 50 years has won big at Ohio State. Like, I, I'm not saying I could go to Ohio State, but I mean, I could kind of go to Ohio State and win seven games. I mean, I could go to Ohio State, and if I just hired the right staff, and I let the staff recruit, and I just stayed the heck out of the way, like, I'd probably be in pretty good shape. I'm not saying I win a national championship, but I'd still be in better shape than Purdue, Northwestern, Minnesota, on and on and on and on and on. And so 
that's the thing with college football. There's just certain jobs that you just have so many inherent advantages. I mentioned USC a minute ago. USC, um, you know, the reason that people are frustrated with Clay Helton only winning nine games is because the ceiling of that program is like, dude, you should be winning 11 or 12. You should be winning the Pac-12. You should be competing for a national championship. And so there are those kinds of programs. And then there's what Mike Leach has done everywhere else. Mike Leach has won big at some of the toughest places to win. For those of you who are a little bit older, probably at least in your 30s, you remember Mike Leach. First of all, a lot of you probably remember him as an offensive coordinator, uh, you know, coming over with Hal Mummy to Kentucky with Tim Couch. Uh, you probably remember uh, him going to Oklahoma, winning a national championship with Bob Stoops as the offensive coordinator. And, um, you know, and then, of course, if you are a college football, somebody that loves college football, you, of course, probably remember him being the head coach at, at Texas Tech. And it's easy to forget now, right? Like Texas Tech, the last couple years has had a nice little rebrand, rebuild of what they are, right? Like Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the NFL, went to Texas Tech. Uh, Baker Mayfield went to Texas Tech for a minute. Cliff Kingsbury, current NFL head coach, went to Texas Tech. So you kind of think like Texas Tech's really not that bad of a program. Well, how about this? Mike Leach's last season at Texas Tech was 2009, okay? During his time at Texas Tech, he won nine games four times. He won 11 games once. And really, when I say he won nine games four times, it was really five times because his last year there, he got fired before the bowl game. That was the whole uh, Craig James's son situation. But if you remember to that time, Texas Tech was like competing with Oklahoma and Texas every single year. He had Texas Tech in, a, in an era before the 14 playoff in the conversation for the two-team BCS title game one year. That was the Michael Crabtree, I think it was Graham Harrell was the quarterback then. Like, Mike Leach did stuff at Texas Tech, and you think, well, Texas Tech, they've been good, Patrick Mahomes, blah, blah. You know how many times, Mike, you know how many times Texas Tech has won nine-plus games since Mike Leach left? Zero. He's been gone 11 years now. They have won nine plus games zero times since he left. He won nine plus games four times while he was there. Really five had him in a national championship conversation. Let me take it a step further. You guys know I live in Pac-12 country. Spent a lot of time talking about USC early in this show. I can definitively tell you, Washington State's probably, if not the worst job in the Pac-12, probably the second worst job. And I don't know if we have any Washington State fans uh, listening to this show. I apologize if we do. But what I can tell you is this. The Pac-12, for all the flack that it gets, there's some pretty good jobs in that league. Oregon has more money than they could ever possibly spend. USC has history as won national championships. Washington has history as won national championships. Heck, Colorado won a national championship in my lifetime back in the early 90s. Uh, Stanford's a great academic school. You can recruit a certain caliber of player from all over the country. Cal's a great academic school. Arizona State, at the very least, uh, you can, it, it has a brand, right? I'm not saying Arizona State's a great football job, but they can probably get kids interested because of certain elements of the university. Washington State, though, is the exact opposite. For people who don't know the geography, it's in the eastern part of the state, in Pullman, in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around it. It's cold. It's dark. It's not like the glamorous Seattle west coast of, of, of Washington it's in the middle of nowhere, and it's cold. And I know they had a little bit of success before Mike Leach got there, most notably when Ryan Leaf was there. Don't want to be disrespectful because they did make a few Rose Bowls in the late 90s and early 2000s. 
but they were really bad before Mike Leach got there in 2010 or 2000 or whatever. But when he was at Washington State, which again, I would argue is probably the worst job in the Pac-12, he won nine games three times, and he won 11 games in 20. He won 11 games at Washington State. Listen, I'm probably going to piss off some people for saying this. I think winning 11 games at Washington State is probably harder than basically winning a national championship at Alabama, winning a national championship at Ohio State. I'm sorry to be a jerk, and I know we have Alabama and Ohio State fans that listen, and you'll be pissed off, and Torres, you don't know what the hell you're talking Do you know how hard it is to win 11 games at Washington State? You have no geographic advantage. You have no recruiting pool to speak of. It's cold. It's dark. There's not much there. It's not a big stadium. You play on the West Coast. You play late. You're basically recruiting JUCOs and kids that the Southern California schools don't want. Like, it's so hard to win at Washington State and Mike Leach won 11 games there. And so when I just look at what happened on Saturday at Baton Rouge, I'm like, man, this guy's doing it again, right? And, like, I get it. I get that he's goofy, and I get that he says weird stuff, and I get that he does these crazy press conferences, and he tweets strange memes, and on and on and on and on and on. But it's like, you look at the actual on-the-field results, like how many football coaches are just flat-out better than him? I'm not going to name names, but there's not many. And for him to go to the SEC in week one, not miss a beat, as if he'd been there for 10 years, as he basically took his entire Washington State team and just transported them to Starkville, and to go in to Baton Rouge and completely dominate that game, take over that game. They were down 10-7 early in the second, and then they never trailed after midway through the second quarter against the reigning national champions. I just don't think Mike Leach gets enough credit for just how good he is and just what he is capable of doing. All right, I do really quickly want to wrap on a few different things. The first of all, I do want to talk about the other game or the other team that was in that game about Mississippi State because, as I mentioned, I do my Saturday national radio show, Fox Sports Radio, and me and my partner, Arnie Spanier, we got into a little bit of a debate because Arnie was just, oh, my God, Mississippi State's amazing. And I should mention that really quick with Mississippi State is like, just to, to make sure we're clear, I'm not claiming they're going to win the SEC title or the national championship. It was just one game. But man, like they looked really good, and I give credit to Mike Leach. I still think they're probably the third, fourth best team in the SEC West. But again, I just want to give them credit. But I bring it up because, you know, my radio partner and I kind of got into it on Saturday night of, okay, was that game about Mississippi State just being way better than we thought they were? Or is it about LSU maybe not being so good? And I do want to give Mississippi State credit, and I do love that Mike Leach is in the big t- or in the, the SEC now. He's playing big boy college football, national TV, CBS games, Gary Danielson, Brad Nessler. But like part of this, I do think, is on LSU. And to be abundantly clear, this isn't like a big, crazy, hot take, oh, Coach O's overrated or this or that or the other thing. I just don't think they look like a very good football team the other day. And by the way, it makes sense why they didn't look like a good football team. I mentioned it on the last episode, but it's worth repeating. I don't think that I've ever seen a college football program in one offseason lose more than LSU lost this offseason, okay? This is what LSU lost this offseason. They lost a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Maybe you heard of him, Joe Burrow. They lost five first-round draft picks. They lost 14 draft picks overall, which ties an all-time record of most players drafted off one team. On top of that, Their best uh, offensive player that was coming back this year, Jamar Chase, 
opted out of the season, decided not to play. Two other starters opted out of the season, decided not to play. On the defensive side, their best player, Derek Stingley Jr., did not play Saturday, was hospitalized. Uh, He appears to be okay. They said it was an illness not related to COVID, so we hope he's okay. Saw a report that he's doing fine. Um, But think about everything they lost. And then on top of that, they also lost their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator. Gary Danielson talked about it during the show. He said he's gone back as far as he can. He has never seen one team lose more talent off one roster than LSU did last season relative to the draft picks and all that stuff, relative to the returning starters. So yeah, I get why LSU isn't good. But it doesn't change the fact that they did not look very good on Saturday, and I am kind of worried about them in the bigger picture. And it's funny because this is where... Uh, and we'll talk about it in a minute with Kentucky Auburn, but like this is where like me actually, you know, sitting down and watching the games makes a difference. Because if you watch that game closely, like first of all, Miles Brennan, the new quarterback, statistically he was fine. Like he actually played pretty well according to the box score. But if you watch the game, it just didn't look right. He looked nervous in the pocket. He had happy feet. He was overthrowing the ball. He was underthrowing the ball. And he was kind of disappointing, relatively speaking. Now, I don't blame him because the offensive line was terrible. He got sacked seven times. The offensive line couldn't block. The offensive line couldn't run block either. LSU averaged two yards per rush. And when I look at the whole situation at LSU, like I'm starting to think, like I, I just don't think that's a very good football team. Like I said, don't let the stats fool you. A lot of them came when they were down big and they're throwing the ball and they're, they're trying to move the ball down the field. But when you look at that team, quarterback didn't play well, sacked seven times, no running game to speak of. The defense seemed to have no idea how to slow down or stop Mississippi State. It was one play after the other after the other, throwing the ball all over the field. And I just look at LSU and I just say, man, that does not look like a very good football team. Now, again, I understand that they lost a ton of talent off last year's team. But I also don't want to, like, oversell it the other way either. Alabama loses talent all the time. Alabama has 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 guys drafted every year. They have four or five first-rounders every year. And they still look pretty good, relatively speaking. Um, And I'm not comparing Alabama to LSU, but, like, LSU wants to be in that conversation of the team that's every single season in the conversation for a national championship – And to me, it just looks like, I'm just starting to think like, was last year an aberration? Was last year one of those deals where just about everything went right? And if you really think about it, it's possible. I mean, first of all, Joe Burrow transforms from a guy, and I've used this many times, so I apologize. Longtime listeners kind of know this, know my stance on this. But Joe Burrow, don't forget, everybody gets so caught up in the Joe Burrow narrative of, oh my goodness, overcame transferring from Ohio State, wins a Heisman, wins a national championship. That's true. But what gets lost with Joe Burrow, he wasn't even good at LSU his first year. 15 touchdowns, 57% passing percent, uh, completion percentage. And so when I'm just looking at Joe Burrow transforming into the best quarterback, basically in the history of college football, like that's a once in a lifetime thing, right? On top of that, you have this once-in-a-lifetime coordinator, Joe Brady, who comes in, nobody hears of him. Now he's the Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator making $2 million a year. Um, You have a schedule that actually works out very nicely for you last year. You play Texas early, but as it turns out, Texas isn't very good. You get Florida at home. You get Auburn at home. You get um, Texas A&M at home. You get Alabama on the road, but two was banged up. And these aren't excuses for LSU. 
These aren't excuses. I'm not, I'm not saying that these are the only reasons they won. They were the best team in college football by far. They smoked Oklahoma in the playoff. They beat Clemson convincingly in the playoff. Only team to beat Clemson in the last two seasons. So it's not to say they didn't have an incredible year. But I do wonder if everything kind of broke their way. Because I will admit, with the way, we, with the way they recruit and the way Coach O talked this offseason. Remember, Coach O was the guy that said about three, four weeks ago when we weren't sure we were going to have a season, he said, we'll play in a pasture at midnight. We do not care. We're ready to play. And so when I look at the situation since then, I was like, that did not look like a team that was ready to play in a pasture at midnight. And it goes back to what I said a minute ago, is that I do think that sometimes these great programs, right, Alabama has to reload every year. Clemson, Ohio State have to reload every year. And I was wondering if LSU was that kind of team because every year Alabama, they might have a new quarterback or they might have a new this or they might have a new that, but athletically, they always look the same. Clemson, athletically, they always look the same. They're on a different level than everybody else in the ACC. Ohio State, same deal. And so with LSU, I expected that. That was not the case on Saturday. I just felt like that was a team that I expected more out of. I understand that they lost a lot, but the great programs reload. And I look at LSU, and I'm just saying, they got Florida on the schedule. They got Bama. They got Auburn. They got Texas A&M. That looks like a 6-4 and four football team to me in a 10-game SEC schedule. We will see. They play Vandy this weekend. We'll see if they have the chance to bounce back. But uh, I was a little underwhelmed with LSU. I really was. And I don't think that's a team that can fix themselves overnight. All right, last kind of big topic, and it's not even that big, but <laughs> I do want to talk uh, about that Kentucky-Auburn game. Okay, so Kentucky-Auburn, final score, 29-13. And if you didn't watch the game, that just looks like, okay, Auburn won, they won convincingly, no big deal. Auburn, top 10 team in the country, cool, they won. Let's move on. They play Georgia this weekend, let's get excited for that game. Except here's the thing, like I said, I actually watched the games. And so so after the game, um, you know, I put out some tweets basically saying that like, Kentucky was the better team for a large portion of the game. And I truly believed it, and I will get into why. And I got crushed by Auburn fans. Auburn fans, oh my God, do you watch the games? Do you know what you're talking about? Have you ever understood football on the Do you really get paid for those takes? They should take away your blue check mark. Like every insult that a fan could throw at somebody on Twitter, uh, I got it on Saturday. And look, that's part of my job. No big deal. I don't really care. Um, and that's not to say, by the way, that Kentucky fans shouldn't be frustrated on Saturday after, on Saturday night, Sunday, Monday as well. For the Kentucky fans that listen, and there's a lot, I understand your frustration. The offense, you're waiting for this vertical passing game to emerge. Um, you know, Terry Wilson comes back from injury. He has a costly turnover. I get it. But I do want to talk about that game in general because I do think, again, that if you, if you actually watch the game and you're not an Auburn fan, you don't bleed uh, orange and, and, and purple, I just think Kentucky was a lot better than people think. And I think it came down to three plays. And I think you guys know where I'm going to start. And it's going to start with that first touchdown that was called back right before halftime, which was, in my opinion... I'm not even exaggerating. You know, I, your boy Torres does hyperbole sometimes, but uh, uh, you want to talk about just one of the most insane, egregious calls 
in the like, like I'm not even kidding. Like the history of college football is one of the worst calls that I've ever seen. Certainly since we started implementing instant replay. And for people who didn't see it, it's on my Twitter page. But essentially, what happens is Kentucky has the ball on the two-yard line, handed off to their running back Chris Rodriguez. He breaks the plane with the ball. His full body is in the end zone to the point that it's like Tom Hart goes, "Okay, touchdown, Kentucky. Let's line up for the two for the for the extra point." Like it was so obvious that the the ESPN crew didn't even hesitate. Well, on the field, the refs kind of get a look around and they're blowing whistles and they're you know whatever. They're like, "We're gonna go to instant replay." And it's like, okay, like, well, at least we have instant replay. No big deal, whatever. Like, we'll, uh, we'll get this figured out in instant replay, and it'll be a 14-8 game. At the time, it was 8-7 Auburn. And you think, okay, they're going to get this right in instant replay. We're going to overturn it. Kentucky will score. It'll be 14-8. Instead, they go to instant replay. They go to instant replay, and they still didn't get it right. And so instead of Kentucky going up 14-8, uh, it ends up being 8-7 at halftime. And that was only after, by the way, Kentucky tries to throw a pass. It gets intercepted. It actually gets returned for a touchdown, and the call gets gets called back. And Auburn fans are mad about, oh, how do you overturn that? Well, first of all, it was a penalty. Second of all, it shouldn't have came down to it because he scored a touchdown. So that's one. First of all, if that call is made correctly, it completely changes the outcome of the game, or it completely changes the narrative of the game at least. All right, so that's the first big play. And I, I just, I, I don't, like, to me, it's just not debatable. Like, Kentucky should have been up 14-8 going into the half. I think anybody that has a functioning brain that watched the game, I posted the, the, the picture, the video on social media, and I had fans of literally every fan base. Like, that's one of the worst calls I've ever seen. So, like, no matter where you stand on this topic, um, like, Kentucky should have been up 14-8 going into the half. Anyway, let's fast forward to the other two big plays from this game because I do think they're important to this conversation as well. The first one. Beginning of the fourth, each team scores one touchdown in the third quarter. Auburn goes into the, the, the fourth quarter, excuse me, up 15 to 13. Again, Kentucky should have already had another touchdown, but we'll skip that part for now. Up 15, 13, Kentucky gets the ball back. They're driving. They force a punt. They're driving down the field. Third play, Terry Wilson, their quarterback, takes off, scrambling for a first down. Ball just completely pops out of his hand. Fumble recovery for Auburn. Auburn then goes on a uh, a grand total of a five-play, 23-yard touchdown drive, okay? So, like, Auburn gets the ball at Kentucky's 23. Five plays later, they score. So, again, it was 15-13. Terry Wilson driving. Ball pops out. Doesn't get touched. Auburn recovers. Five plays later, score a 23-yard touchdown. Then the next possession. And, again, Kentucky at this point is now down uh, 22-13. They fake a punt. Does not work. Auburn gets the ball back. Another very short field, and they win the game going away. And so, (laughs) you know, as it pertains to this game, I just want to say a few things. Credit to Auburn. They made the plays. They won. Kentucky fans, I understand your frustration. The offense is not very dynamic. I know that you've wanted a vertical passing game for a while. You wish you had more uh, action at the wide receiver spot. You forgave uh, Eddie Grant at points last year because all you had was Lynn Bowden. I understand your frustration, okay? But my bigger point... My only point was that when you look at that game, I just don't know how you can say that Kentucky was not basically, I think, the better team for the first three quarters. They should have been up. When the touchdown isn't scored, it completely changes the rest of the game, right? Because first of all, you have an unforced error with Terry Wilson. But then on top of that, 
if that touchdown counted to end the second ha- to end the second quarter, excuse me, going into halftime, then all of a sudden you don't have to do the fake punt. And so when I looked at this box score, this is what I saw. I saw Kentucky as a team that had more total yards, more rushing yards, more passing yards, fewer penalties, fewer penalty yards. Now Auburn fans will get mad at me saying this, but generally when a team has more total yards, more rushing yards, more passing yards, and doesn't get completely annihilated by penalties, they usually win the game. Now Kentucky did have turnovers, I will say that, but again, one of them was completely unforced, the Terry Wilson fumble. The second one would not have happened if we did not have a situation where the first touchdown was called. We don't, uh, we being Kentucky doesn't even attempt the fake punt, okay? And so like it just boggles my mind and it cracks me up that we have these Auburn, oh my God, we dominated that game. Did you not watch that game? It's like, yeah, I watched the game. Your two big touchdown drives that sealed the victory were a five-play, 23-yard touchdown drive and a two-play, 27-yard touchdown drive. We're not exactly talking about the 49ers in the Super Bowl here with Joe Montana, okay? Um, And so Auburn fans, calm down. You're not that good. Bo Nix still stinks. And then for Kentucky fans, I do understand the frustration. I am very curious to see what happens going forward with the offense. In Terry Wilson's defense, it was his first game back from injury. He did look a little bit tentative at times, including specifically that that fumble uh, uh, situation. But to me, it was just so fascinating. Like it was, it was something that, like I didn't really think. Like sometimes with me, like you get into these like weird internet things where people get mad at you, and like that was one I was just like, I I, I did not see that coming. I thought it was pretty indisputable that they were pretty evenly matched teams, pretty balanced teams, and that Kentucky, if they didn't get screwed out of a touchdown, probably would have had a chance to win that game and the outcome would have been completely different. So credit to Auburn. I'll tell you this, though, I am not sold on them going into the Georgia game this week. And Kentucky, they obviously have a lot of work to do. But I understand the frustration of a Kentucky fan that says, man, we could have won that game. Three plays totally flipped this thing and we got screwed uh, on one of them that completely altered the game. All right, it's the episode's going a little bit long here, guys, so I'm just going to wrap with a few quick thoughts on a few other topics, and then we'll get out of here. First of all, Tennessee, South Carolina. Uh, <laughs> how about this? Tennessee, seven straight wins. With LSU's loss, Tennessee is, now has the longest win streak, not only in the SEC, but in Power 5 football. I mean, imagine telling yourself a year ago, Tennessee loses to Georgia State. Imagine telling someone that within a year and change of this, Tennessee will have the longest winning streak in college football or in Power 5 football. Not Clemson, not Ohio State, not Bama, not LSU. Tennessee. Tennessee has the longest win streak after beating South Carolina. And I'll just say this. First of all, I'll, I'll give credit to South Carolina. I've been very critical of Will Muschamp. I've talked crap about him on this show, all that stuff. I thought South Carolina actually played really, really, really hard on Saturday night. Uh, I don't think they're particularly talented, but the transfer quarterback, Colin Hill, looked better than I was expecting. Uh, and South Carolina played tougher than I was expecting. Now, they do have to go on the road this weekend to Florida. I'm not expecting big things, but I thought they played well. Tennessee, I'll just tell you this, man. I still, I, I'm just still just confused, I guess is the right word, on Jarek Garantano. I just never know what I'm getting from the guy. At times, he looks really good. At times, he just completely overthrows wide receivers. There's just like no in-between of, can I just get like a consistent performance where you don't have to be great, but you don't have to be terrible? But I just don't know what I'm getting out of him. He finished the day. He played well, but he also just went one for 11 on third downs, 19 to 31 passing. 
But it's just like, I, I just don't know what I'm getting out of the guy. So I'm more curious about Tennessee this coming weekend against Missouri because I do think Missouri can create some challenges. I've seen, depending on the book, Tennessee's opening about a double-digit favorite, about 10 points, 13 points at Circus Sports, the one that I posted on Instagram. I'm just not sold on Tennessee. Very curious. I like the run game. I like the defense. I just don't know what I'm going to get from Jarrett Garantano. Uh, Texas A&M, full disclosure, I didn't get the game. So I, I don't know what happened. I'm going to try to find a replay of it. They struggle against Vandy. Is Vandy way better than I thought? Is Texas A&M still Texas A&M and struggling specifically to pass the ball with Kellen Mond? I will have to wait and see. Uh, Alabama, Missouri, just, just not a ton to take away from there. Alabama dominated early. Uh, but they put in starters. Basically, the game happened exactly as I told you that it would. Remember on Thursday's show, I said, like, dude, don't take the points. Don't bet Bama. Uh, if you're going to bet Bama, bet the first half because they're going to dominate the first half. Then they're going to spend the second half getting their starters, reps, getting their starters, uh, key minutes and key roles. And that's exactly what happened. Bryce Young, the kid from California, grew up not far from where I live. He got a lot of second half reps. And I'll give credit to Missouri, too. First-year head coach, they played hard until the end. I don't think Bama really let their foot off the gas as much as I just think that Nick Saban wanted to get all of his backups some major reps. I think he got it. Now they play Texas A&M. Will be fascinating this weekend. Finally, Arkansas, Georgia. Um, you know, not really much to say. I, I, I was very impressed by Arkansas. I was very impressed by how hard they are now playing for Sam Pittman, that is just a team that has completely flipped kind of the energy switch, the effort switch. And I'll just say this. I thought they were really well coached on both sides of the football. Kendall Bryles, uh, he's limited in what he's got. I know Rakeem Boyd is a star, and some of the young wide receivers are good. Felipe Franks is a transfer quarterback. Like, like I get that. Um, I do still think they're pretty limited, and they're going against one of the two or three best defenses in college football in Georgia. So I was actually a little bit impressed by Arkansas. I think they're certainly much better coach than they were. And I'll tell you this, I don't think that's a team that's going to go winless in the SEC. I think they are going to find a way to win one, maybe two, maybe three games because uh, they're playing hard and they're playing well for Sam Pittman. I thought the defense played pretty well, relatively speaking. Um, Georgia looks much more poised once they got the, the backups. Uh, Stetson Bennett into the game. But uh, Arkansas, I was, I was impressed by. I think they're going to play hard for Barry Odom and his defense. I think they're going to uh, move the ball with Kendall Bryles. And uh, with Georgia, I'll just say I'm, I'm not as worried as other people on Georgia. Um, I do think it's going to be interesting. Uh, this kid, Stetson Bennett, like if he ends up keeping the job, does he just become like an even worse Jacob Fromm, where again, their entire you know MO is we're going to have to run the ball and we're going to have to play defense because we're not going to be able to score. Uh, curious if Dewan Mathis plays next week. Curious if uh, JT Daniels gets some reps uh, at any point, the kid from USC. But I'm not worried about Georgia yet, and I do give Arkansas credit. Last little game. Miami, Florida State, uh, listen, I told you two weeks ago, Florida State is probably the most overrated program in college football. They're living off their reputation. They're really, really, really bad. That was proven to be true on Sunday, on Saturday. And I think my big question is, is Miami maybe better than I thought they were? Um, you know, I was, um, you know, if you remember last week, I said, oh my God, can we stop with the U is back, the U is back, the U is back. Well, they actually look pretty good for a third straight week. De'Ara King, the transfer from Houston, maybe he is a one-year wonder. I do wonder if this is almost like a situation with Cam Newton the year that he was at Auburn. Um, not comparing the two situations, Cam Newton obviously led Auburn to a national championship, 
But when I look at it, does De'Ara King kind of inspire that whole program? Does he get them playing to a higher level? We're going to find out. I'll tell you. Because I don't know if you've seen Miami's schedule. Their next game, uh, it's at Clemson two weeks from now. So we will find out on Miami. And certainly, if Miami wins that game, we'll be having a different conversation on Miami come Monday. All right. So I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, I've spoken enough. I think I, I think it's time for AT to go for the day. Make sure you subscribe to iTunes, Podcast, Addict App, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, uh, Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter, Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, uh, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com uh find me on youtube as well but that's all for today a uh, couple guests coming up this week maybe even a return of nick coffee we will see but big monday show fun monday show great to have sec football back i've talked long enough it's time for me to go shout out to torrent craig shout out to rachel who hates my voice i will be back later this week Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.